Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene Podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. My guest this week is Karen Wilson, the 2015 Shanghai Masters champion. Since then, he's been a quarterfinalist in the World Championship for two years running. And already this season, he's been runner-up in two ranking events, the World Open and the English Open. We actually recorded this in Barnsley a few days before he reached the final of that English Open. Karen is very articulate, very interesting, he's got a lot to say, and I hope you enjoy this interview. So, Karen, I'm going to start with a question I always start with. How did you get into snooker? How did you discover the game? Um, I think it was born in me, to be honest. Um, I found a photo of myself when I was about two years old. We had a um, a toy golf set for right. toddlers and instead of using it the conventional way um, I sort of put a ball on the coffee table and started queuing with it so okay. right. I think I've sort of just always been been born to play snooker So you sort of discovered snooker before snooker discovered you? I think so, yeah <laughs> not many people can say that, can yeah. they? So how did you then progress from from being a sort of toddler to suddenly playing snooker? Did you start on a, on a sort of half-size table? Well, my, my dad was always into his pool, right. so um, he'd go around one of his best friend's house who would have a, a pool room. I'd be banging on the door trying to get in, and eventually they'd let me in. So I, I started with pool. Um, I played Peter Ebden in a charity pool match when I was six years old, beat him, and he, he turned to me and said, get into snooker. And to be honest, he's, he's been a big influence mm. from, from a young age. That's, I mean, six years old, though, to beat Peter Ebden in anything is pretty impressive. Yeah, he, he weren't too impressed. It was quite a good crowd in as well. Um, I remember it was like it was the Millennium. Uh, it was on the Millennium, so it was yeah. a big party. Um, yeah, it broke off and cleared up. So mm. yeah, happy days. But of course, you need like a sort of structure, don't you? You need a club to play in, and, and so how did that work? And how did you start to develop as a player? Um, so my my head teacher at school, he was he was very good. He spotted that I had the talent from a young age. Um, they used to give me every Friday off school, and uh, they used to be in the academy in Wellingborough, Rushton Way, and that's that's actually where I met my coach now, Barry Stark. Um, so we met from there, and obviously going to the academy, seeing the likes of Ding Junhui, Ronnie O'Sullivan, Ken Doherty, Peter, um, you know, I couldn't really have asked for a, for a better upbringing, bringing snooker-wise. Mm. It's quite a big thing, though, to be given Friday off school. A lot of people listening will say, how do you angle that, then? I mean, how, how hard was that to arrange? Yeah, to be honest, I was... Uh, I was, I was quite a clever student, I was always predicted sort of C's, B's, never an A student, but C's and B's right across the board, um, but my, my head teacher sort of recognised that I wasn't quite in it, mm. I didn't want to be revising, I was, I was just constantly wanting to, to get to the snooker club, so I think he just thought, you know, if we can give him the best of both worlds, he's going to practice his snooker and uh, he'll give us the dedication whilst he's here, so yeah, not many people can uh, be lucky enough to have that. You know, a lot of people at schools would have probably said snooker wasn't the best sort of lifestyle. So, yeah, I was I was very lucky to have him that, that spotted that potential early on. Yeah, and I guess the fact that he's given you every Friday off school means you've got to take it seriously. You've got to take the snooker seriously, and you've got to work hard at it. Yeah, um, Carl, I remember playing Peter Ebden from a very young age at the academy. 
I just I was about 11, 12 years old, and I, I just couldn't take a frame off him. I think he ended up beating me 21-1, <laughs> and uh, I think he gave me the last frame just so he could get off and have his dinner. So. <laughs> Yeah, just to have somebody like that to learn off was, was crucial for me. Mm. And also, the sort of junior scene, I guess, was quite thriving then as well. You had a lot of tournaments you could play in to sort of learn about match play as well as just, just playing. Yeah, we, we were very lucky to have the likes of Malcolm Thorne around. He had the, the under-21s and the under-16 events on a, on a Saturday and Sunday, more or less every month. Yeah. So we always had something and we always had the ESB events. Um, but I think on tour now there's there's a hardcore of us that was sort of in the same era there's probably about 10 of us yeah and i think some of us are trying to f- struggle to find their feet on tour and a couple of us are starting to sort of break through now so it's yeah. nice to see a little bit of a change of the guard now yeah and also you have to learn about winning and losing you have to learn about so how to cope with both i suppose i mean what, what sort of loser were you in those days oh i'm, I'm still <laughs> as bad as i was then um you know i think it's fair to say i probably snapped a couple of cues in my mm. time I was, I was very bad but um I, I think that you need it to be honest I think you need that little bit of fire in your belly yeah. I think if you're just going to go around taking losses easily then you're never really going to learn from it and progress so um, yeah I've, I've been quite temperamental over the years and I'm mm. slowly trying to improve it and I think I am getting there mm. but you obviously set your sights on turning professional that was you didn't have any other job in mind you thought right this is what I want to do so what was the sort of road to turning pro yeah so it was just it was just all snooker I was like I say I didn't really pay attention at school my grades could have been a lot better so I sort of put all my eggs in one basket snooker wise um, turned professional through the Pios tour which was a really really tough school it was top eight of about 200 players yeah. and so it was at Pontins yeah, yeah yeah they were they were top players there so that was my apprenticeship getting on um, fell off for two years just couldn't find my way back on I had a couple of issues uh, technique wise that me and Barry have worked on found a job in my snooker club where I was practicing before and after shifts and as soon as I turned pro I just thought you know that's it uh, full time snooker again mm. ignore the fact that he sat right across from us and tell us about <laughs> Barry and, and Barry's uh, importance to your career oh he's massive to me um, we, we just decided one day that I've got to take a step back to take two steps forward and it took me a good two years to groove what we're working on um, but now I'm sort of reaping the rewards from it and he keeps me very grounded and um, has me up at the crack of dawn when he's at my tournaments he doesn't like me to have a lay-in <laughs> as much as I love one so um, he's been very good for my career and also I mean a lot of players have someone with them but Barry's been a player himself so he understands the game which is important too yeah so obviously it's, it's hard to sort of explain what we're feeling out there so to have somebody that's experienced that sort of feeling mm. the same as we do it's, it makes things a little bit easier especially at intervals and things like that mm. and Peter Ebden as well you mentioned you beat, you beat him when, when you were six at Paul but he didn't hold it against you he's, he's been a help as well hasn't he yeah he, he still texts me now even, even if he's just lost in a match and I've just won he'll still have the time to text me and, and congratulate me and yeah to have him around at tournaments still and ask for a bit of advice when I feel like I need it he's, he's always there to help me so yeah proper top professional mm. so how did it feel you said you got on the tour then you dropped off that seems like quite a low moment because you've sort of you've kind of made it you turn professional and now you're off again and it's kind of a bit of uncertainty about how you get back on and when you get back on what were those sort of times like oh honestly it's, it was heartbreaking I, I just feel like I had so much ability and it was just being wasted because I just couldn't find my way back on for some unknown reason and it it was heartbreaking really my my mum and dad have remortgaged the house so many times and you know the old story your parents chuck everything at you really and try and help you and you just want to try and give something back and when I couldn't I, I didn't feel like I could sort of break through that mental barrier 
it, it just hurt so much dropping off the first time. And um, to be honest, now when I look back, it's, it has made me a stronger player. Mm. And I think without stepping into the real world, having a proper job, yeah. um, I wouldn't appreciate what I'm doing so much now. Did you think at any point, okay, well, I've given it a go, it hasn't worked, maybe I should do something else? No, I always still believed I was going to get back on eventually. Mm. It was just a matter of, of when, really. But like I say, I, I was lucky to have a job at my snooker club where I could mix the, mix the two. So I could earn a living doing a job. But I could still get the practicing at the same time to try and progress my snooker career. Mm. So you got back on, and I guess your sort of immediate aim then, okay, I'm not going to drop off again, I'm going to push forward. I mean, was there a change in the way you sort of looked at it, the way you approached it? Well, it's like, you know, you're doing a bar shift for peanuts, Mm. you know, no disrespect to people that work behind the bar, but compared to winning one snooker match where you've literally earned what you would earn in a month. Um, So it just all of a sudden just hit home and as soon as I got that opportunity, I just thought, you know, these these people aren't going to take that away from me now and it's not going to, I'm not going to back down as easy as I would have before. So yeah, it completely changed my attitude. Mm. I guess a big step forward, you got to the Crucible in 2014 and that, you know, a lot of people... Um, if, if you say you're a snooker professional they'll say well I haven't seen you on TV but they're going to see you there because it's the World Championship that was a big moment for you wasn't it? Yeah the, to be honest the, the thing that really turned it was the Shanghai Masters early on in the season sure. I got to my first quarterfinals yeah. and you know how it used to be the tiered system it was very hard to qualify um, so the, the World Championships was a similar system mm. Um, and I, I just knew I could do it. So as soon as I qualified for the World Championships, you know, I, I played so well in the qualifiers, beating the likes of uh, Graham Dot, Rod Lawler, yeah. Alfie Burden, yeah. and um, you know, I won quite comfortably, which was nice. Uh, but just sort of, I was a little bit like a rabbit in headlights when I first got there, which I think a lot of players would hold their hands yeah. up to. Um, but again, I feel like it's made me a stronger person, and, and now I feel completely relaxed there. Mm. So, what was it like walking down those steps onto the arena? I mean, everyone's kind of every player's dreamt of doing it, but I mean, were you were you nervous? What, what was the what were the feelings like? Yeah, I had butterflies. Um, I wouldn't say I was I was scared, but obviously the nerves there were, there were excitement nerves, mm. not sort of worrying about how I'm going to play. Um, but even the three steps as you're walking down, I just thought, you know, please don't fall down those <laughs> stairs. That was mm. my initial thought. Mm. But um, yeah, what what a buzz, you know. As, as soon as anybody steps out there for the first time it, it's just absolutely incredible mm. and then I guess also you feel like you have actually achieved something you know that's where everyone wants to play you're in the world championship okay you lost first round but going into the next season you've got something to build on then yeah so it, it, you know it can work both ways you, you've obviously got the confidence that you know you can do it now but mm. then you kind of become a little bit of a target because yeah. people think you know he's turned into a bit of a scalp he's, he's on a high he's, he's a good p- player to have under your belt mm. um, but you know it's, it's just part and parcel of progressing up through the ranks and yeah. I'm still trying to learn to deal with it now yeah well of course your big breakthrough you mentioned Shanghai but it came in 2015 obviously winning the Shanghai Masters yeah. um, again it was the old system so you had to qualify first of all and then I think the big victory for everyone watching in terms of thinking okay he can win this was ding in the quarterfinals you know it's in China it's in a decider they're all for him yeah. and you've had to I think you won on the black didn't you yeah, so, yeah I mean, black or just tell us about that, that match I, the, the first thing that springs to mind is all my family were out in Tenerife for my dad's right. 50th party funnily enough it came up on my Facebook the other day as a memory yeah. um, so all I remember is them going mad in an Irish bar all of them <laughs> screaming when I'd won you'd think I'd won the tournament by this point but um, yeah to beat Ding out there in front of his own and you know there's like nearly 100 million people watching on TV so there's a hell of a lot of pressure 
um, that was a real turning point for me and it, it sort of proved to myself that I really can do it on the big stage under the most extreme pressure um, and you know that, that was the turning point but it felt like the semi-finals and the final were even tougher because you've, you've put that much expectation on yourself going from the quarters to the semi-final and mm. um, yeah it was just a, it was a mad tournament mm. but just so amazing for me and I guess like you say it almost felt like you've won the tournament beating Ding but you haven't you're one of them beat Mark Allen and then yeah. you want to beat Judd Trump so you've got to keep your, your feet on the ground yeah that was that was a nice thing about it you know I had a really tough draw it's mm. not like I sort of breezed through with a nice easy draw it just felt like it kept getting tougher and tougher and tougher. So, um, yeah, amazing, amazing win against Ding. Then followed it up by Mark Allen, and I felt like it was sort of slipping away against Trump in the final. I had a good lead right throughout, yeah. and he just kept pegging away, and yeah, managed to fall over the line. But what's that like? Because that's obviously you've dreamt of winning a title. There you are in the final. You're in front. He's coming back at you. What, how do you feel? Are you feeling like, I'll never forgive myself if I lose? Or are you trying to keep calm? Because I think this is what a lot of fans watching, they don't understand what a player goes through like mentally when they're yeah. out there. Yeah, it's, you know, you've got your jackal and hide, haven't you? You've got the demon on one shoulder and the angel on the other. He's, you're trying to keep positive. You're trying to stay in the moment. Um, I think if you don't do that, then you'll crumble because the pressure will eventually get to you. So all I was thinking was at 9-7, I'm thinking, right, I've got at least three frames here. My chance is going to come. I'm going to make sure I'm prepared and ready to take it. Um, and as soon as it came in that decider, it was a horrible chance, to be honest. I had a horrible red over, queuing over the pack of reds. I should have used the Barry's spider trick. Now. Um, <laughs> we'll come on to that later. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, managed to pop the red into the middle and, um, yeah, made a good break from that. Yeah. And also, so you've won it, which is fantastic for you, but you've already mentioned your parents and obviously your family, everyone around you. You would have appreciated as well what it meant to them that you, you've done it as well. Yeah, you know, if I'm, if I'm being completely honest, I, I didn't even want to go to Shanghai. It was my right. dad's 50th birthday. I'm, I'm a massive family-orientated person. Um, and it was a big surprise party. I remember going to the airport at Gatwick and ringing Barry and saying, Barry, you know, I just don't want to step on this plane. Mm. And to be honest... I actually bumped into Barry Hawkins um, and out on the Airbus A380 with Emirates out of all the seats possible we were sat in the same row mm. and for some unknown I don't know why it just it settled me a bit because it took my mind off it and I just got chatting to Barry um, we, we've obviously flew there and, and I've gone from there but to do it for my family on my dad's 50th birthday it's something that he'll never forget and I yeah. feel like you know I keep the, the trophy at my mum and dad's house now that's yeah. for them yeah. so yeah it was just it was just incredible mm. like a fairy tale yeah but then of course you've got to press on with the next tournament the next tournament and you've got to also I guess adjust to now you're a tournament winner so other players are going to be raising their game against you you know it's a different approach for you you're not an up and comer anymore you made it you're a, you're a champion yeah I've, I've, I've found you know just recently that players are just playing out of their skin against me mm. and it's something that I'm trying to learn to deal with and I, I, you know, I've got to take it as a compliment people are trying to raise the game because they obviously have seen what I've done and, and rate me as a player so um, you know it has been tough I'd, I'd rather be the underdog and facing the top yeah. dogs all the time because you're under no pressure mm. um, but yeah I, I felt like I've been very consistent since the Shanghai I've, I've held on to my top 16 for I'd say almost two years now mm. so you know it's, it's just a sign that I'm, I'm developing as a player yeah and at the end of that season you were back at the Crucible and I guess you felt a lot more confident you got to the quarterfinals so you must have felt that you were as you say you arrived as a top player now yeah like I said before um, the first uh, appearance at the Crucible held me in good stead for the next yeah. one I felt very comfortable on my return everything wasn't 
you know, so knew everything that uh, I'd been and done it before. So going into the dressing room, I, I didn't, I felt the butterflies, but not the nerves, you know, panicky nerves. It, it all felt comfortable. And yeah, I, I was a little bit unlucky, to be honest. I got off to a bad start against Selby in the quarterfinals, pegged him back a little bit and uh, yeah, he just showed sort of what class player he is and ran away with it. You also had that mad match with Mark Allen which you can only have in the World Championship where like you yeah. you won a load of frames and he won a load of frames and it kept on sort of going like that in spells didn't it? Yes, it was mad, you know, I, I think I went, was it 6 or 7 nil up? Something like that, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. I think it was 7 nil up and he, he came back to 7-5 and then I went 11-5 up and he came back to 11-9 mm. and then I won 13-9, it was just, it was an absolute crazy match but um you know it's, it's tough you know you can start having these doubts and demons when somebody keeps coming back at you but to show that you can keep calm and finish off the job um i think that's quite a good feather feather in my bow and also the um the world championship is not just about on the table because the way it's the way it's structured matches can last three days and there's a lot of time between playing between the sessions so how do you sort of keep calm then because that's just as important isn't it yeah that's that's the hardest part for me that's something like I say I'm still learning to deal with um, it's only my third appearance there so yeah. I've found a nice hotel that, that I stay in and I've got friends and family close by um, that I can go and visit and sort of break up the time so I just it's just important to try and keep things fresh you don't want to go stale so I like to go and have a swim and there's a nice sauna spa whatever and do a bit of shopping and just try and get back down to earth not be in the snooker bubble um, obviously keep practicing but not practice too hard because you can overdo it mm. you're back in the quarterfinals at the crucible last season but it kind of went wrong with your tip didn't it you're yeah. playing John Higgins it was three each and yeah. split and that was kind of obviously very difficult after that yeah I was it's my own fault really I let my tip get too low I, I got to the semis in Beijing yeah. um, obviously got a lot of confidence in the tip and just thought you know I can see it throughout the, the world championships and let it get too low got to three all um, split the tip me and Barry tried to, to mend it um, seen out two extra frames which I lost to so go 5-3 and we just thought you know I, I can't risk it anymore so I actually changed to a used tip that I had in my case and I made a bit of an error because it was a tip that I don't use anymore it was a very spongy tip and it was okay on the practice table where the cloths were a little bit more warm but as soon as you got out in front of the TV and the lights are on the heaters are on and you know the table plays completely different I just I couldn't play any ball with side and I just, it just was horrible yeah. it was absolutely horrible but yeah. you know it's, it, again it's something that I'll learn from yeah I think you said at the time as well which I think was good you said you know because someone said oh two quarterfinals that's that's good going in Sheffield and you said I'm not here to reach quarterfinals I want to be world champion yeah it's the same as um, I've just got to the final in, in the China championship yeah. and people are congratulating me and I'm saying you know what, what are you congratulating <laughs> me for I'm not wanting anything mm. it's, it's just the attitude I feel like you should have what, mm. what's the point of being congratulated for a, for a last eight finish nobody mm. remembers who got to the quarterfinals mm. so what I mean we're relatively still near the start of the season really although we've had a lot of tournaments do you sort of set yourself goals for the start of a season there's so many events what is your sort of goal is it to win one event is it to to sort of rise up the ranking maybe join the top eight is, is there a specific goal yeah I think um there's there's a immediate goal and that's to obviously win a tournament a year I think you're you're doing well if you're winning one event a year it's so tough nowadays um, but also to to secure your master spot and secure your world championship spot they're they're the three main goals yeah um, and you know I, I don't think that you can set too high goals nowadays on tour because it just is so difficult and you'll end up completely destroying yourself so I think you need to keep them realistic um, well within your reach um, 
and you know I, I think I'm kind of on my way to doing it I'm looking good for the Masters now with the run to the, the final of the China Championship which has taken a bit of pressure off and I can just sort of play snooker now mm. so many tournaments you've actually got the wrong tournament it was the World Open you were in the final yeah sorry so, the World Open, yeah. but there are so many events it's understandable yeah I mean talk about that because it's hard it's a lot of matches just to get to the final I guess you were disappointed that on the day it just didn't happen for you yeah, a, cu a couple of things went wrong early on. I, I had a unlucky sort of split through the pack and went in off and ding, ding cleared up and then I had a kick on the green and ding cleared up again. So I felt like two unfortunate mistakes um, cost me. It wasn't like I got back to the table. He actually went and cleared up. It was 4-1 by the time I yeah. knew it. And ding obviously grew in confidence. He's got all the support on his side. and It was tough to sort of get into the match then, but, you know, it's, it's just... You'd, you'd take a final before the event almost, sure, yeah. but you know once you get there, like you say, you, you want to do well and try and win it. So yeah, I was I was very disappointed. And that business with the spider that you mentioned—that was one of Barry's tricks, was it? Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's been he's shown me it for a while. Um, it's just never come up. I've done it in an exhibition, but I've never got the chance on TV. And it's been one of them that uh, I keep questioning Brendan Moore over it, yeah. seeing if it's still legal. And he keeps saying to me, "Yeah, it's it's legal for now." <laughs> Um, so I just thought the shot that I had, even if Peggy calls a foul, mm. I'm not leaving anything. Yeah. So I thought it was the ideal opportunity just to test it, and uh, yeah. yeah, the internet sort of went mad for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it was a legal shot, definitely. Yeah. Uh, just talk about sort of um, the, the tour uh, uh, and the sort of busyness of it, because you're a father, you've got family, you're away a lot. How hard is that? And how hard also is it just to just to sort of control the schedule and make sure your flights are booked and everything's kind of you're, you're in hotels and all that stuff? It's it's getting very tough to be honest. I've, I've just had a newborn baby. Um, I was very lucky with the arrival of him. I actually landed from Thailand from the Six Reds on the Friday afternoon and he was born Saturday evening so he, he timed that very well. Um, he's only five weeks old and I've only seen him for, for two weeks so you know it, it is very difficult. I'm trying to manage my family life with my snooker. I don't want to sort of let my snooker take a back step because I feel like I've got some momentum going now. I want to keep hold of that, keep practicing hard do all the events and, and try and sort of earn a good living so that maybe in time I can maybe look at the odd event and say you know I'll have a break there have a bit of family time I'm, I'm not quite in the position to do that I made that mistake last year and it, it ruined my season last year to be honest so yeah this year I'm, I'm just sort of aiming to play in everything mm. Are you a good traveller? I mean do you get sort of jet lagged and all that and, and some, some players when they go say to China they complain about the food and whatever and the internet's slow it, it's, it, it can be quite easy to get sucked into all that can't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, there's a lot of whinging players nowadays. It, it does get a bit boring, to be honest. I'm, I felt myself going into that club. I keep getting wound up by my manager about it, so I'm trying to step out of that club. Um, but yeah, I'm quite good, to be honest. I, I have a little routine that I do when I travel long distance where I try not to sleep on the first day. Um, go to bed at, at night time for them and sort of adapt to the, to the time zone straight away. And I just feel, you know, I'm travelling all that way. I'm missing my family. I'm going to make it count. Yeah. So I just I feel like it's a big sacrifice to leave my family. So I'll make it count, which gives me a, a bit of a drive. Yeah, John Parrott was the same. John Parrott, big family man. And he always seemed to do well in overseas events because he was just there for the snooker. Yeah. And also, I guess, he was doing it for his family. It's like providing for them as well. Is, is that sort of how you feel as well? Yeah, so obviously I've got, got two little boys now, a wife 
uh, a mortgage, um, cars to pay for. So um, there's a lot of pressure on my shoulders. I, I have to sort of provide for for all of them. But you know, I don't really think of that when I'm playing. It's just all about the snooker, and um, I just let all the all that take care of itself. As long as I'm playing well and, and getting the results, it all takes care of itself anyway. Do you find yourself sort of getting recognised? I don't mean necessarily at the tournament, but sort of like in Tesco or wherever you are at home. Yeah, I've, it's it's gone a bit crazy, really. Um, I, I went on holiday not long ago in Tenerife and I'm sat around the pool and I must have had about three or four people just coming coming up to me asking for a photo and that didn't look great because I was around the pool with my top off. So. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's nice, you know, snooker's growing and growing. Um, we're getting more and more recognised nowadays. You know, the, the crowd this week in Barnsley looks very good. So, you know, it's it's just showing what a good job Barry Hearn and World Snooker are doing. Mm. You've always had a lot of bottle. You did a, you did a parachute jump, did you, when you were 18? Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, in aid of MS. Um, yeah, 13,000 feet, jumped out of an aeroplane and, yeah, never again. <laughs> What's more nerve-wracking, doing that or walking out of the crucible? Uh, without doubt, doing the, the skydive. Uh, the, the crucible was enjoyable, that wasn't. <laughs> do, do you have to um, sort of look after your diet and health? There's a lot, been a lot of talk about fitness at the moment in, in snooker. Is that something you're conscious of? Yeah, I, I try to be. I'm... I'm one of those, I go through phases where I, I'm really strict on my diet and my exercise and then I sort of let it slip away a little bit, I get complacent. So at the minute I'm in the, the complacent zone so I just need to sort of get my act together again and start eating properly and, and doing a bit of exercise. I'm, I'm naughty really because my brother is a personal trainer and okay. he, he tries to help me out but my brother being my brother I, I don't really want to listen all the time so yeah I should do really and, and in terms of long term goals I mean obviously everyone wants to be world champion but do you do you have a certain plan I've got to win it by this time or are you just going to let things happen sort of naturally yeah you know it's so hard to win it you look at someone like Stuart Bingham who's won it I think he was 37, yeah, 38 yeah. so you know it's just showing it it can happen just don't push it I'm, I'm not going to determine my life sort yeah. of you know, if I if I don't win the world championships, I'm devastated and let it affect the next event. Um, I'll I'll win it when I'm meant to win it, but I'll make sure I'm trying to work as hard as possible and doing everything right so that I give myself every chance. Mm. So no regrets about following the snooker path. What do you mean by that? Well, you could, I mean you could have done anything with your life, but you dedicate yourself to snooker. Are you 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 happy with the choice? Um, when I'm winning, yes. <laughs> when I'm losing, no. It, it's, it is such a very tough game. I, I believe it's the toughest sport in the world. People don't understand that, you know, in the likes of golf, if you hit a hole in one, somebody can hit a hole in one to follow up. If somebody knocks in a turn, we don't necessarily get the chance yeah. to knock in that turn the next frame. So it's very difficult. You have a hell of a lot of demons, which I'm trying to deal with. Um, I feel like I'm getting there and, uh, yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm enjoying things at the minute. Well, you're still a young man, Karen Times, on your side, and uh, we wish you all the best for the rest of this season and indeed the rest of your career. Cheers, Dave. Cheers, Brian. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.